Hey everyone, welcome to Thriving Marriage with Mark and Bethany. And this is our weekly discussion of marriage and family in the Christian life. And today, we've got a special guest on the show, Pastor Mike Fabares from Compass Bible Church, our senior pastor here and author of numerous books and the voice of Focal Point Ministry radio program. So Pastor Mike, Thanks for being here with us. It is great to be on the nation's number one podcast. <laughs> That's right. Yes, we're, we're glad to have you. It's great. That's what I heard, at least. That's what you told me. It's the oh, number yeah. one podcast in the nation, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone's listening. Okay, That's All across good. the nation and the world, dare I say. That's true. You <laughs> dared to say it. That's right. So we want to talk about your book, Lifelines for Tough Times. And you've written this book for Christians to navigate suffering well. And it's a great book. We just actually went through it again recently. And yeah. Uh, just a really helpful book. And what we wanted to do is maybe think through some ways that the principles from that book apply to marriages and couples in their relationships with each other. Uh, because we know that suffering not only affects the individual, but it also affects the entire family. And we had to expect that. And so what are some ways, I guess, that we can take some of the principles from this book and bring it into our marriage podcast setting here? Okay, so I'm going to bring up our first question. And really, I'm going to read a quote from page 84 because, you know, it resonates with me. It's so says good, this. isn't it? It says, given the pain and suffering involved in childbirth, mm. you would think that moms would never have a second baby. Mm-hmm. But most couples go on to have one, uh, more than one child. The pain is endured as real and bad as it is because what follows is incomparably good. So that's totally struck a chord with you me. You read that so well, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I have four kids, so I had a you you know, kept real going, pain. Didn't you? Yeah, yep. we kept going. And when I was looking at this quote, I was just being reminded about how we need to have a heavenly focus and an eternal focus. And you refer to that in this chapter, in your fifth chapter, and talk to us just about how important it is when you're going through a trial to keep the end in mind, to keep that heavenly-minded perspective. Right. Well, that's a good example, right? With childbirth, it doesn't take long to say it's great to have a kid, even though it was a lot of pain to get this kid. And I think trials in the scripture are clearly something that God is using to refine us, to change us, to govern our sin, to glorify himself. And, you know, the tough times in our lives, they're hard to be thankful for, but that's what the Bible says, right? We're supposed to rejoice in our sufferings because there's something positive that God is going to do through that. And what you've got to do is get that bigger perspective. When I'm in pain, mm -hmm. I want it to stop. I pray to God, stop. I don't want this. Stop this pain. And uh, God prolongs that portrayal tracks it oftentimes so that we can uh, have some good come out the other side. I mean, look at how often we're told perseverance is going to be built, character is going to be built. Uh, things are going to happen because God is going to use pain, just like someone going to the gym, right? They're going to the gym because they want a good outcome, but it hurts to go. Their muscles hurt, but it's all about something good on the other side. And we have to believe that, Romans 8, 28, right? And the book is basically expanding on that principle. God is going to work together all things for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So um, yeah, we've just got to have that big perspective. What is God, gonna, what is God going to do on the other side of this pain. And even if we don't see it in this life, right? I mean, God is going to look at the long-term pains of our life and reward us based on how we, you know, traverse the difficulties of our Christian life. And so we, we just got to think bigger, right? Set our minds on things above, Colossians 3, and not on things of this earth that are visible, things that we can see are temporal, things that are eternal or long-term. We think about our kids, for instance, raising our kids, even the difficulties that we have with our kids, what we build into our children every single day, what we build into our everyday lives, even though it's tough, is going to reap something eternal. That's what the Scripture keeps promising us. Either we believe that or we don't believe that. 
so you mentioned like how good things are going to be then and how things are hard now. And you really draw that theme out in this chapter that we're, we're in here. Um, I guess I'm wondering, are there instances where you think families almost set themselves up for failure and having things so good here and creating so much comfort that when suffering enters and life is hard as it is promised to be in scripture, that uh, we just really struggle making our way through the the trial. So, sure. yeah, I mean, the problem is we make the goal our comfort, right? We want a happy life. We want things to be good. It's like someone going to their desk and arranging their desk, getting the perfect, you know, I don't know, uh, pencil holder and the perfect computer screen and stapler. everything. Yeah, every, the perfect stapler, <laughs> nice. which I'm sure you have a perfect yes. stapler. But all those things, and then never realizing that those are just tools ultimately to do work. And I think our Christian life is work, it's stewardship, it's service, it's doing something positive for Christ, even evangelism. I mean, these are the kinds of things that are hard, but they reap something good. And if you're focusing on comfortable things and a great house and, you know, the picket fence and all of that, which are nice to have, you can you can you set yourself up for a lot of disappointment because that's really not what our life's about. And those things go away. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, you can't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, and you can't set your hope on the uncertainty of your health. You can't set your hope on the uncertainty of a good job. You can't set your hope on any of those things because uh, God can use us and will use us whether we have those things or we don't have those things, whether mm -hmm. we have good health or we don't, whether mm -hmm. we have a good job or whether we lose our job. How do we practically keep that in our minds? I just think, you know, for busyness and and living in an area where we're comfortable and there are, you know, I have a lot of really good things just here, you know, nice family, house, great church, great friends. Just how do I keep it in my mind? I mean, just the forefront you know, throughout my days and then when something hard comes up so that I'm not shocked. You know, what's what's some like practical things? Well, I think your prayer life should be focused beyond the temporal, right? If you're praying for things, as I often say in our church, that matter a hundred years from now, if that's what leads your prayer list, you know, if those are things you're thinking about, if those are things you purpose in the morning to say, I want to do something today that's going to last beyond my life, I think that is a practical way to get my heart calibrated for not saying, well, if I hurt today or something goes wrong today, then my life is messed up and it's terrible. I mean, we've we got to look beyond the borders or horizons of this life. And I just think that is what Colossians 3 is about, getting my mind on eternal things. The book of Hebrews, you know, constantly reminding a group of Christians that were struggling and suffering. People were taking stuff away from them and putting them in prison. And he keeps drawing them to something so much bigger than this life. And I think our prayer life is key to answer your question. I just think that is huge. We pray for things that matter beyond whether or not I'm going to have a great week. How many people's prayer lists are probably so shallow? Right. And so short, you know, just day to day, just their kids, their family, you know, what's going on here and now and how, how it's right. just... Even in know. our church. I mean, you think about our prayer ministry, you know, I... I, I pray for our prayer ministry because so often the prayers that we get on our computer every day, you know, Pastor Mark, it's just so often it's just in this surgery or that pain. And it's fine to pray for those things, right? James right. chapter five says we ought to, but we've got to make sure our prayers don't just stay stuck in the aches and pains of my life mm -hmm. and the disappointments of my life, because life is bigger than that. You know, Paul was looking at the Praetorian guard getting saved, not just, I'm really in this dungeon and it's bad. And would you Philippians pray for me? Cause I really want to get out of here. I mean, he was praying about how the gospel was going to go out. He was concerned about things that went beyond his temporal situation. And, and that was his concern. And I just, I don't know, I, you've heard my preaching for years and you know, I'm, 
constantly trying to take us beyond our everyday because we do have so many good things and we live in a fairly comfortable time in a comfortable corner of the world. And I just think praying bigger, thinking bigger, and looking beyond this life is huge, right? I mean, that is the challenge of the Christian life. Yeah. You said something at a Q&A in Thrive a few weeks ago at this point, and you said if you can go back to this stage of life of parenting young kids, one thing you would do differently if you can go back was, was would be to pray more. Right. And that has really stuck with me and I think had an impact on both Bethany and I just yeah. in our personal prayer lives. We are at that stage right now. We can pray more and we can pray more deeply, as you're describing here, and not just about surface level kinds of right. things. So. And even the projects, I mean, I think you and I praying for CBI, this Compass Bible Institute that we're launching, we've been working together on that. You know, when I pray through those things in my prayer list, you know, I, I'm, I'm tempted just to pray about the immediate, what's the next challenge, mm. as opposed to, you know, the things I've purposefully written down in my prayer journal to pray for things that are going to happen because the students are going to be right. educated, what kind of churches are going to be planted, you know, what legacy is going to be built in people's lives because we're training people here. I mean, even that goes beyond the immediate, well, we need this permit or we got to get this thing right. together. Or we need this contract. You just have to always look past the immediate, I think, to what's the fruit of it all because we're going to be gone, right? I mean, 50, 60, 70 years from now, everyone is going to be gone. And, and we're going to have to now step into eternity asking what's la- what lasts beyond our lives. And our prayer lives, you know, are going to reflect those priorities. And like you said, I'd pray more. And the addendum to that would be I would pray bigger mm. and, and not just, you know, bigger things. I want a bigger buildings. I want bigger ministries. But what do those ministries do? They change people's eternal destiny. They change people's eternal rewards. And uh, I just think we got th- to force ourselves to think that way. So there's an element of praying your way through trials, yes. whether it's a, a personal trial or a, something in your family, or as you've mentioned here, praying outside of your family for uh, another family or uh, a bigger cause than yourself. Yeah, and that's kind of where our next question goes, is just uh, how can married couples look outside their families and look to other people who are suffering and come alongside them? I mean, what can we do to keep our eyes open? And then how can we step in as the body of Christ and encourage other people who are suffering? Right. Well, I was earlier today, I was in a premarital counseling session with a couple that's about to get married and talking about the fact that there's certain things you've got to do and purpose to do that gets you outside of the immediate challenges of your marriage. You have to work at caring for other people. And there's simple things you can do um, to force that. I mean, to visit, everyone knows people in their church that are sick, people that are struggling, go visit them, sit at their bedside, pray with them, hold their hand, deal with issues that are beyond your current situation. And I think we don't purpose to do enough of that. And I shared in this premarital counseling, the great thing about my education in Chicago at the Bible Institute was it forced me to do, um, a, a nursing home ministry for a semester, which, you know, I, I had no reason to go to a nursing home, right? Mm-hmm. My grandparents were healthy enough to not need one. And, and I'd never been inside of one. And now I had to go every single week and hold people's hands and care for them and pray for them. And then I go back one week and the gal I was praying week with the week before it had passed away. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the yeah. kinds of things that get me thinking about bigger things. And I think when couples and families force themselves to reach beyond what are we having for dinner tonight, but who can we go encourage? Who can we go 
you know, walk through their trial with them? Who can we, you know, pray for? Who can we visit? Who's been through a surgery or a problem or a crisis and just pour ourselves out more for other people? It puts our suffering in perspective, right? I mean, we start to realize our problems are not all that bad. Right. Most, most, usually, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it has a good effect on us when we get the focus off of ourselves, whether we're in a trial personally as a family unit or not, but to, for us as a family unit to go and serve other people and, and put the focus on them. Uh, right. And Jesus said it, think about it. Yeah. And he wasn't saying it, so it would make it our selfish goal, but it's better to give than to receive. More blessed, right? Mm. There's yeah. something more satisfying about giving of our lives than to just say, I'm going to do things to receive and get. And and that's the ultimate example of Christ. I didn't come to be served, right? I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. The service, I think, is where people say, I want my family to be served, and mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. do everything I can in my prayer life and in my daily life so I have less pain and more joy and more happiness and more comfort. And I just think, forget about all that. I mean, ultimately, we don't have enough time. And as Jesus said, for people that are worried about what they're going to wear and what they're going to eat, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. Just let them work themselves out. They'll be added to you. Don't worry. Birds of the air get taken care of. Flowers get dressed. You're going to be fine. And I think that there's not enough of that in our modern marriages. There's not enough Mm -hmm. of that in our modern Christianity or churches. We just need that bigger perspective. Oh, and how huge that would be for our kids to see that modeled in our lives an example and for us to teach them. I mean, I just think about, <laughs> let's load up my van with my kids and take them to the hospital when people are, are sick. And, and we, we do serve people, but I'm just saying to do that more regularly and have them see that and get outside of themselves, so their good. problems will become small. Yes. Our problems will become small. So, so good. And I do think, you know, having raised three kids and almost done with a third, but having them learn to love ministry because they've seen us do ministry and realize it's not the job that you come home and then you turn it off. It's, it's, we want to love people. We want to care for people because people last forever, right? It's only a few things that last forever. God lasts forever. God's word lasts forever. God's people last forever. Those are the things we invest in. And I just think you learn to find joy in that. And that helps you get through the trials and the struggles whether it's a chronic illness, whether it's loss, whether it's financial problems, whether you're living in a one-bedroom apartment, you know, it doesn't matter. You, you ultimately seek to find fulfillment, which Christ said he'd give us if we give of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, the concept of being the kind of person who's blessed and finding fulfillment on this, in this world in serving other people. I love that connection there. And don't you admire people? I think about the people you, you, that are heroic to you in church history, right? People you really admire aren't people that got everything positioned in their Christian life where it was all good for them, right? They gave of themselves, mm-hmm. and, and they were a gift to the church, and they were a gift to their church and their generation and their congregation, and our bi- their biographies are a gift to us because we see so much of what we know is right and good, and we then close those books and then say, how can my life be more comfortable? And, you know, we all like comfort and we're not, you know, we're not uh, ascetic thinking somehow yeah. it's better if we just whip ourselves and are in pain. There's no virtue in poverty, as I often say, but the goal is never to chase those things, chasing the perfect life, chasing the f- perfect, you know, that, that just should not be our obsession. And it is the obsession of our generation. Mm-hmm, for sure. I'm still envisioning our kids walking down the hospital. Like I'm, I'm envisioning you putting all four kids in the car <laughs> and then walking down the halls of the hospital. Yeah. Just so subtle and quiet and peaceful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's exactly how it would happen. Well. But we bring some joy into those. You would bring those. Yeah, right. exactly. Maybe some 
<laughs> some trial and challenge to the yeah. nurses, but uh, that's a different topic. How do you how do you train your kids to the extent that they will walk quietly down the halls of the hospital? Mm-hmm. So, but, but think about I mean, just going to someone's home that's in trial or difficulty, right. having your kids write out a note or draw a picture yes. and say, "Let's bring this to Mrs. So and So because she's just been through this tough time. Let's go visit them." Love it. Right. You know, you know, last night we went to visit some folks that have been through surgery, and you know, stop and get them yogurt and just bring those things and and have your kids along in tow to learn that there's some great joy in that. Mm-hmm. And it's better coming home after that than saying, yeah, we watched, you know, American Idol tonight or whatever, yeah. right? It's just, that's yeah. real life and it matters beyond this life and it's beyond ourself. And I just think that's what we need to get through our trials. We yeah. care less about our own pain. There's so many lessons for our kids in that experience. Mm-hmm. That's great. So we were talking about how to come alongside others when they're suffering. What about when the suffering moves into your home? And throughout the book, you refer to the the arrival of Stephanie mm-hmm. and just the, the ways that you and Carlin came alongside each other and helped each other through that particular trial. I was just wondering if you could maybe comment on some ways that couples can team up yeah. when the suffering moves into the home. As long as we recognize that the goal is not to team up to make sure that Stephanie, in our case, who's now 16, born with severe birth defects that, you know, our goal is to make her life great. Mm. Our goal is not to make her life great. Our goal is to make her a servant of Christ and a servant of other people. So as long as we keep that straight, then you say, okay, how do you team up to help disciple that young heart and that life? And then I think it's a lot like any challenge, you know, you go to the gym with a spotter and you're lifting weights and you need someone to spur you on and say, you can do it. And when you're weak, they're strong and, uh, you know, or on a diet or something that's difficult and someone keeps you accountable and different sort of trial. There's a, that's a different (laughs) trial. It can be painful though, but, uh, that's the idea I think of partnering at all is that you feel like you have mutual support and you got to find that and, and, and be spurred on by that. I think of Hebrews chapter 10, the whole church is supposed to be spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And I think that's, you know, what you have the challenge of doing in your home is whatever the trial is, you're helping each other to meet those needs and encourage others to become who they're supposed to be, not just happy, right? When you have someone, when you have someone like in our house, that's got a, you know, a, a, a disability, you can, you can make the goal wrong, right? Or yeah. even someone who has cancer or whatever, it's like, we just want to make them happy and comfortable. That's really not the goal. The goal is like Paul who had a thorn in the flesh to try and glorify God and all that. And, and so we would always tell Stephanie, listen, you got your thing, other people have their thing, but our goal is all the same. We want to be like Christ and we want to serve other people and we want to make our count, our life count for eternity. So if that's clear, then we team up in our home or in our marriage to make sure we get that done. And, and I just think the goal becomes wrong. And that's why I have to, I mean, I, I know I'm being redundant, but there's so much in terms of what the goal is, it needs to be defined first. And then you can team up to say, great, let's keep each other accountable. Let's spur each other on to make sure that we're doing that in our home. So that's a really good point. And I was just thinking too, of the importance of our family unit, having that goal, but being a part of a bigger family, which is the church, and all of the, the benefits that come from being a part of a church family and uh, having other people with that shared goal to live life with yeah, through, the, through the difficult Important. times. Yeah, well, we just love having you here. We're so glad you could join us, and um, we want to do a giveaway. We want to challenge people. Yeah, we do. People. Give things away. That's Ye- awesome. Oh, yeah. We want to challenge people to read this book, so mm. if you don't have it, really you have an opportunity to get it right now. If you are one of the first five people to email in to 
thriving marriage podcast at gmail.com, then we will supply the first five people with that's the book. awesome but if they if they're not one of the five how do they get it well you can get it anywhere you can go to amazon just type in lifelines for tough times and you'll get it there or christian book distributors or barnes and noble it's on kindle it's on uh, all the major book sites awesome. get it anywhere awesome. pastor mike fabar is our guest today thanks so much for coming great to and be here thanks for having me we appreciate this book and your others as well so hopefully we can get into some of those other ones in future episodes yeah we'll see you next time see you later see ya